Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Money Barrel. This week, Kayla gets to sit down with the number five cowgirl in the 2020 standings, Tiani Schuster. Tiani is a million-dollar earner who was coming off a big win at the NBHA World Championship. Tiani packs this interview with incredible tips and advice that just might take you and your horse to the next level. Don't forget to share this and previous episodes on social media so we can spread the stories of our guests. If you have a program, business, or stallion you want to get in front of thousands of viewers, reach out to us. Now time for the good stuff. This is The Money Barrel. to catch up with Tiani Schuster after her big weekend at the NBHA finals and as she's getting ready to prepare for the NFR. So thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. I know you're busy, but I'm excited to kind of be able to tell your story. It was just a fun story. We go to Perry, Georgia pretty regularly. It's just a really good show. And, and I've said it, you know, again, and I'll say it one more time. Perry, Georgia, it's just such a great facility. It's so clean. It's safe. They just go above and beyond to to make that place just a place you want to come back to again and again. And the, the state of Georgia, you know, they jump through hoops to make this happen. And, and Sherry, she runs the MBHA. And I don't even want to know what she had to do to make everybody, you know, as happy as can be. But everyone worked together. And it was just a, another great year. And probably well, clearly it was best year for me um because I've left there more than once going oh my gosh <laughs> I hope nobody saw that but this year I hope everybody saw it <laughs> yeah and so you won the world title on showman's right yep showman sees a 10 year old gelding and I've had him for a few years now and I think it was three years ago he had colic surgery and um he had displaced his colon while excuse me for saying it this way, but he was kind of like jackassing around in the, in the warm-up pen. We were in Jerome, Idaho, and I turned him and another horse out because they had just worked it. And I was like, oh, that ground is so nice and fluffy and beautiful. And we turned these horses around out. Anyway, they got to playing and bucking and farting and running and ripping. And I said, hmm, how about I go catch these horses? Somebody's going to get hurt. Well, in all that horse play, like he displaced his colon. And um, off to the vet we went, and and they saved his life there at Idaho um, Equine. So for a little while there, I mean, we just thought he never would be the horse that he once was. And all of a sudden this year, he decided to turn it up again, and I'm sure not complaining. I had no idea that he even had that because I know he was kind of your A team going into the NFR um, when you made it the first time and then, yeah, it's like he kind of disappeared and then all of a sudden there you are winning it again. So, I mean, at least he's picking a good time to come back with you heading into your second NFR. It was 120 days exactly when he had the colic surgery, 120 days prior to the first round of the NFR. And, 
and he bounced back and, you know, he came together for the NFR and he got me a couple checks, but those little pins, you know, he can, he can get checks there, but that's really not where he does his best. And uh, he was second in one of the rounds there, but you know, after such a, a big surgery like that, like I said, I just thought, well, okay, well, I'm just happy he's alive. You know, if I, mm-hmm. you know, if he's just a 2D horse from here on out, um, you know, I'm okay with that because like that horse had afforded me everything for so long. And it was just last night I was talking to a friend of mine in Canada and he was picking on me. Uh, his name's Chris Blaine and, and Chris picks on me a lot. And he, uh, he says, I still got the results of that summer when showman's within the 2D. And we, <laughs> we laughed about it. He's like, you know, you won that ribbon. He was a 2D champion. And Chris's horse had like one, I don't know, the weekend um, uh, high point title or high money title or whatever it was. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm going to post those results and say, there was that weekend at band camp where I run showman's. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I've been trying oh. to, Chris was supposed to come down and um, go to like some maturities, the BFA and the BBR. And, uh, Chris isn't coming now, and I was giving him grief over that. I said, "Yeah, you're just scared, and you just want to stay in that band camp forever." I'm like, "You just stay up there, Chris." <laughs> you don't want to run against him now. Oh, that's funny. Well, I want to get into your 2020, but before we do that, tell us a little bit about your background, and you know, did you grow up barrel racing, and how did you get to where you are today? Um, I grew up really, 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 really poor, and I grew up just in the outskirts of New Orleans. I was born in New Orleans, New Orleans, Louisiana, and one of my neighbors, she had horses, and I, I don't even remember this. I was so little. I would climb the fence and I would get hung on the chain link fence and they'd have to pick me up off of my diaper and I'd run in the backyard and just go like walk the ponies up and down the driveway at two in the morning. And they said that the dogs used to wake them up barking and I'd just be out there walking the ponies. Um, but I always kept going back to her even when we moved away because we moved around a lot. Um, one summer I spent um, a summer with uh, at a boarding stable the fellow that owned it was really good friends with my grandfather and his daughter was a barrel racer. And that was pretty much my real first exposure to barrel racing. And she was a winner and everybody looked up to her and I don't think she rides much now and I don't keep in contact with her, but I just, I was young and probably, I don't know, 11, 12, 13. And I was like, I want to be like her because they, everybody respected her. And she had great horses. And I think at that point, I, I saw that the hard work that she put in and the dedication, it, it it got her what she needed, you know, the respect from the people. And it it was making her money and, and the hard work and the hours turned out the results. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's an old saying, everybody wants to be a cowboy until you got to do cowboy stuff. And, you know, like when you start having to clean the stalls and slop through the mud and nobody wants to be a cowboy then. But when it's time to go to the rodeo or to the horse show, everybody's like, oh, yeah, like when you put on the hat, the boot and and the sparkly tack. Well, that's really not a cowboy. So you got to have the dirty boots and the sweat and complain and 
the blisters on your hands. And I think I learned a lot of that from watching her ride those horses, whine and complain because she rode a lot of horses that probably needed to go beer, be beer drinking horses on someone's trail ride because they, a lot of them weren't any good, but some of them did turn into winners. And, and I think that's what gave me a good start. Yeah. What an important lesson to learn basically from the get go. So I, I didn't have any luxuries afforded to me. Um, I used to pay her dad to haul me to the little feed shows and I don't remember it was $50 a haul or $20. I mean, that was quite some time ago, um, probably, you know, closer to 30 years now. And um, so, you know, but we all had fun back then and sometimes it wasn't any fun. And, and looking back, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, I really rode some dinks, but it was all those <laughs> crappy horses, you know, that made me appreciate these good ones. And then probably the one of the most important people that came into my life was Denny Dawson. And few people know Denny, but I, I always refer to him as the trainer's trainer. And I was riding with Denny one day in the beginning. And he told me, he said, I, I can tell you where every foot falls. He said, I can place this horse's feet anywhere I want. And I understand that now. And I can just sit there and think about it. And I, I can put each foot where I needed to go. And it's all about the footwork. And uh, Denny, Denny taught me a lot. And, and he still rides and trains. And he's based out of Ohio. But he's, I mean, he's helped Marnie Lusnor, Troy Crumrine, Cody Bowserman, Jolene. I mean, he's helped everybody. But he, like I said, he's the trainer's trainer. And he's... He's probably one of the best kept secrets, I think, out there. Yeah, now I want to go ride with him. I mean, just having that type of influence is, you know, pretty awesome. And, yeah, he rides barrel horses, and and I think he spent a lot of time in Europe riding English. And uh, his his mom sent him there when he was younger. And, and then he's got, you know, a few years on him now, but it's all those bad horses that taught us all how to be good riders and now today I'm, I'm down to about 30 horses here a few of them are retired like Bahama Bully and and Hoosier Fame he's pretty much I'm not gonna say retired I might pull him out mm -hmm. if I need to go run somewhere where it's really deep or in the mud or so he's you know 75% retired because he's 15 coming 16 and mm -hmm. so I got a couple babies here and but I'm trying to get my numbers down. We had like 50 horses, I believe it was. I don't even want to say earlier this year, but maybe it was earlier this year. Definitely last year. Um, but now it's it's becoming more pleasant. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to have like two two-year-olds, two yearlings, a couple three-year-olds. And where I can, if I decide to load everybody up, we can load everybody up in two trucks and trailers and leave and just lock the door and hand my neighbor the key or whoever wants to stay here. And uh, we joke at my house and say it's a bed and breakfast with no breakfast. <laughs> so anybody's welcome to stop by, just turn off the lights and bring your own food. That's funny. So you guys have a little bit of everything. Um, young horses, rodeo horses, you know, aged horses, open horses. 
did you mainly focus on, you know, the big open jackpots and the Colts and then venture into rodeo or have you always rodeoed a little bit too? Really never rodeoed a whole lot. That started in, I think it was 2016, but like everybody else, you know, you, Oh, I'm going to go buy my rodeo card so I can, you know, go to the, you know, local rodeo. And I, I bought my first permit card. I don't even remember exactly how it went. Um, so I bought my permit and I was living in Mississippi. I'm from New Orleans and I had a place there, Mississippi, which is right next door. And I, I wanted to go to the Dixie National Rodeo. You know, it's the big, I don't know, local mm-hmm. thing to do. So took me four years to fill my permit. And I think the only reason I ever got it filled was because the WPRA finally implemented you could fill your permit at a jackpot. So that was a little bit of a, a I don't know, a stab running joke at me for a while. Like, yeah, it took me four years to, to win because I'd win like $20 at the rodeo. And that $1,000 mark was quite some ways off. So finally, I get my card filled. and But I still, I don't know, it wasn't rodeo. And I'd, I'd go to the little local ones there in Texas because then at that point we were living in Texas. And in 2016, we bought the JSYK horse. I don't, I don't think it was 2015. Anyway, we, we bought him about that time. So it might have been the end of 2015 we bought him. But 2016, I got my card and renewed. I haven't had it for a little bit now. And I, I think I entered St. Angelo. And that was maybe the first rodeo I took him to. Anyway, I'd never been to St. Angelo, and I'd be bopping over there, and I was going to run Dash to Jones, and, and then I get to watch it, and I was like, yeah, I think maybe I need to change horses. So I changed horses, and when it was over, I remember, I think Edwin might have been in China or Germany, and I, I called him. I said, well, guess who's winning St. Angelo? And he's like, he named off Mary Walker, Sarah Rose McDonald. <laughs> I said, uh, he didn't say you. No, no, indeed. And uh, I probably wouldn't have either. So I said, no, I'm winning it. He's like, were you like first out? And I was like, no, he's like second drag. I said, no, sir. I said, I'll call you back in a little while. Well, at the end of it, I think I ended up second in the round. No, third in the round. Because I think Mary Walker did win the round. And she was one of the last runners. And... I think Sabrina Ketchum might have been second, and I was third. And that was a big, big to-do for me. And then I went to Fort Worth, and the next thing I know, I'm like winning the round at Fort Worth. And then, lo and behold, off to the races we went. So I did really good at San Angelo in both rounds. San Angelo has always been good to me ever since then. Um, Even this past 2020, I won one of the rounds there. Placed really good in the average. Don't ask me where. I don't remember. Um, but I, you know, they asked me at San Angelo this year, one of the committee, they're like, what do you think of the ground? You know, it, it might be a little bit harder. And I looked at them and said, you're asking the wrong one because I like harder ground and I love San Angelo. So, <laughs> and then when I went in there, I, I did, I went and won the round. And then I remember I was with the secretary and that same committee lady. I said, I told you you're the wrong person to be asking by asking me about the ground. And we all laughed. I said, I love it here. So that's kind of how the rodeo thing started. And, I, you know, I pulled myself up into a good spot in 2016. And um, and then 2017, 
went really, really well. And when I say I started at the beginning of 2017, I went to every beginning rodeo, the first one, the second one, the third one. And that's, I think, what got me the momentum going. And I was the first person in history, you know, man or woman, I was the first person ever to qualify to the NFR out of the winter rodeos. And they said it never could be done, can't be done, won't be done. I had it done and I hadn't even made it to Houston and I had like $80,000 won. And I had won nothing major, but every little small rodeo I had placed in, I had won several of the little ones and um, I just consistently placed. And I think I placed in more rodeos than anyone else. Maybe not won more rodeos, but placed. And I'm, I'm known to be a placer, not so much a closer. So for me to win the NBHA World Show was was quite exciting because I've only ever won two major events, and that was Calgary and now the NBHA World Show. That's that's crazy to hear because didn't wasn't it last year or so? Didn't you hit the million dollar mark? Yeah, I mean, it, and it was quite you know. A, a feat because you got to think about all the money that doesn't get counted and the things that get missed. Yeah. And, and I think well, it, yeah, it was yeah. like when they finally tabulated it because there was a lot of stuff missing and myself and, and Mrs. Pips, we, uh, she was like, I know this money's here. And it was like 1.2 or 1.3 by the time they finished putting everything in, she's like, man, I, I'm really sorry about all this, how we missed this. And I'm like, I don't care if, if we just get like one point, you know, zero, 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 one dollar. That's fine by me, you know. And she says, no, I got all this here. I just need to get it in. So, yeah, not winning anything major. Like it goes back to the cowboy stuff. You know, you got to yep. do all the work and the grunt work and feed the pigs and swap the hogs and and I've got goes blisters in my hand. Goes to show the yeah, goes to show the importance of placing where you go. You know, not necessarily just the big wins, but you know, placing everywhere. And disclaimer for everybody listening: that's why Equistat is so important. Turning your results, so you don't have follow to follow up on your like results. That. If you yes. if you win something, it doesn't hurt to say, "Hey, my name's Sally Joe." Just as a heads up, did you get these results? They're really awesome over there. And they'll be like, yes, we have it over here in the pile to input. And they will input it in. And from time to time, spend the $5, pull your name, go through your results. You might be missing a $5,000 check that you won. And, you know, you're getting cheated or your horse is getting cheated. Equistat's great. Shout out to them over there. Yes, Equistat is awesome. And turning your results. (laughs) So, and then 2017, I mean, you had a great summer as well. Calgary happened, you know, you just kind of kept on through the whole year. And somebody mentioned not too long ago, they said, oh, Tiani won everything. No, Tiani didn't win everything. I was third and I was third a lot. And I said that in another interview the other day. And I used to call my best friend, Sandy, all the time. And I was like, I'm third again, and third has become number three has become a, become my lucky number, and and I'm okay with third, and because eventually number one and number two will screw up, and then I move to number one, but those thirds add up a whole whole lot, and I would rather be third 
and get my name called and mentioned a lot than to be that one hit wonder, you know, that shoots up in the sky and then fizzles out real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, so then going into the NFR, showman's get gets hurt and kind of talk us through, you know, the NFR and now you're about to head back to your second NFR. So, you know, kind of, what did you learn from year one to get you back to year two? Mm, well, the first NFR was uh, the way I describe it. I could have sat on my couch and ate popcorn and cheered everybody on. Be like, go, baby, go. And probably had the same results. Um, we thought that we had the right horse for the pin. I had the JSYK. I'm famous. He was setting arena records before we went there. And when I got home, he set arena records. But he got there, and he is a small pin horse, and he's like, I don't want no part of this. He did not like the ground. I, I don't – I have no excuse or reason. Or I, We just lost. And, and I've had so many people go, oh, my God, that must have been so disappointing. Oh, my God, you must have been devastated. I was like, mm, well, yeah, I, I wasn't like, ooh, yeah, I, I lost. You know, I wasn't happy about it. Um if I would have had the the right horse, and I hate to use, you know, Haley as the sacrificial lamb here, but like Haley's horse was on fire and she could have won the whole thing. And I mean, that horse was so strong in that pen. So if I would have had Haley's horse, for instance, and hit a barrel to have lost the world, let me tell you. I would have been really disappointed because that would have been a scenario where I truly would have blown it. So it's hard for me to have say, well, you know what? I blew it at the finals because I don't feel that I did because I didn't have the right horse. It's like showing up to the beach, you know, with scuba gear and then there's no water. Like, um, okay, we yeah. can't go snorkeling because we don't have the tide in. So you really didn't blow it. You just couldn't get it done. And that's such a busy, I mean, it's so busy there and so much is going on. It's not like you can just, you know, well, let me grab a different horse. Let me grab a different well, I horse. I had different horses. Even if you and, uh, but none of them were going to work for that setup. So I could have went yeah. home, sat on the couch, and ate the popcorn. So I just watched it all unfold and, and cheered for Haley and, and watched history being made. I mean, it was so cool. And, and uh, it, you know, it, it was a great, exciting thing. I mean, yeah, it sucked. And so now we're going to Arlington. The best part, I think, about going to Arlington, nobody knows what we're getting into. And it might be the best NFR for everyone ever. It might be the worst if the ground doesn't hold. I'm really loving the fact that it's – it's new and it, it's going to be more of a level playing field. You know, it's kind of like Christianity. You know, this is the point where we get to be reborn again. Yeah. It is a clean slate for everybody. So, so, so in between NFR one and NFR two, I mean, you kind of rebuilt your herd a little bit. I mean, kind of walk us through that and tell us about your 2020. How'd you handle this madness? Well, I've year? still got showman's and that's going to be my number one horse. And I'm hoping that I don't have to get off of him. And, um, and then 
uh, I got a five-year-old named Mary's Moonshine and Bandit. We're going to take him. And I haven't had him that long. I just run him a handful of times. But he feels really promising and strong. But, you know, I said that about 2017 going in. But like, woohoo, yeah, I got the, you know, the horses ready. And uh, we have the the uh, horse, A Dash to Glamour. And I think that horse might be one of the best horses in the country. And we've owned him for, I don't know, a year and a half now. I've never even sat on the horse. It's only, oh, yeah, I've only, if I sat on him, it was once last year at the NBHA World Show when I helped Edwin warm up for horses. But I'm not even sure if I actually sat on that horse or was on another one. So i got to start riding him. And then Wednesday, I think I'm going to go to uh, NRS and try not to fall off. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's, that's like, you know taking some some new blood yeah, so I, I, i'm hoping tammy's got the ground really soft there at nrs so if i do fall off he's a running turning machine so if i do fall off i do it at the first or second barrel because then it'll be a shorter walk home advice to everybody if you fall off don't fall off at the third you hold up the barrel race too much and it's too long of a walk home oh that is that is some good advice solid advice um so did you rodeo mainly on showmans this year who did you take to the rodeos uh, okay, so back to the horses I won the most money on was was definitely Showman's. Um, but this winter I started off running the famous MacGyver horse. I needed a new horse to replace the JSYK horse. Um, several years ago, he was like the horse for me, and we called him Jr. And then he got some weird bacterial infection in his leg, and then we had to stop running him. So I've been kind of on the hunt for the replacement horse. And so now we have MacGyver. And MacGyver, everybody's like, oh, I can't wait to see him at Arlington. But he's never really clocked big for me on a standard pattern. The best he's ever done is a 17-2. And I think at Spanish Fork, I'd have to go back and look at the results. Maybe they won that with like a 16-9 or a 16-8. And he might be like an 18-1. So we're not going to take MacGyver and put him on a big pen. I just don't think it's a good idea. I'll have him available in case we get down to the nitty gritty. Cause if the ground gets bad, that horse really can stand up on anything. Mm-hmm. So um, I ran MacGyver and won probably about 25,000 this winter. And then showman's I got on him, you know, after the 4th of July, cause I didn't do much, you know, during that time period. And I kind of stayed home a lot and didn't know what was going to be canceled, what was going to happen. And, and then I just kind of started going and, and then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, showman's decided to start clocking again. And he ran a 16, nine there at Lawton. And then a few days later, we were back in Jerome, Idaho. And for me, that was a little bit of a I don't know, a fairy tale ending because it was Jerome, Idaho, where he call it and I left out of there to have the surgery. So now we're back in Jerome, Idaho. I pulled in and the parking lot was pretty empty. I just couldn't bring myself to park in the same spot that I was parked in. And uh, so I parked a little bit, you know, off to the side in a different spot. And I just had a good feeling. And I even pulled out the same polo wraps that um, I had had picked out that day you know three years before and I didn't have a shirt picked out so it was you know fair game on the shirt and he went in there and he has run the only 16 second pattern ever run in that arena 
and he set the arena record. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, that's it was kind of, circle. yeah, yep, that's exactly kind of how it was. So back to the number three again, you know, I think it was the third run of the week and, you know, the three years later and three barrels and I might even been third out on the ground, but I might be lying on that. I might not have been third, but I'm that's, just going to. That's just the added thing to make the story better. We'll just, we'll we're going to embellish on the story, but I'm, I really might have been third. But I think I was six. Um, so, yeah, it was, I don't know. It was just, it was just amazing. I mean, I'm at a loss for words on that. And and now you're on your way back, which is, you know, it, it makes 2020 a little bit better. I mean, this year has kind of been up and down, but, um, you know, now he gets to go back and hopefully this pen will fit him a little bit better and he'll be able to, you know, show his stuff. And and if it doesn't, well, fingers crossed, I think I feel more comfortable if I have to lean on another horse that I have a couple other horses that can do, you know, well in a bigger standard pattern type setup. So we're, you know, at, at the Thomas and Mac, you're really kind of limited on what type of horse you can use for that arena. Yeah, And then I don't know, we might get there and it might be a total disaster for everyone. And we all might be struggling. So, but I, I think here they're going to go above and beyond to make it the best it can be because they have the room, they have the size, they have the allotment, you know, hopefully they'll have some tractors in there. You know, that's a big, big facility. They could have tractors parked, you know, off to the side with banners all over them, you know, sponsored by, you know, Joe Blow's mm-hmm. Dirt Company and run in there and do some drags and not, never even have to remove the equipment where they don't have that luxury there in Las Vegas. You know, they can't get those tractors in and out that, um, that alley quite so easily. Yeah. Good point. So how do you handle, you know, the rodeo road and seasoning horses and keeping them sound? I know this year, nobody had to travel as hard unless, you know, this summer and, you know, kind of fall kicked on, but how do you keep all all of your horses going as much as you can? Um, I don't really know. <laughs> uh, you know, between just like everyone else, we all struggle. You know, your horse gets an abscess, or you think your horse is a little sore. So for me, I try to give them time off. So I just put on the trailer whoever I think is healthy, and if. If one version six, he got an abscess and he got a very bad abscess. I've never had a bad run on version six ever. And then I was somewhere and I said, I'm going to run version six. And I had my first bad run on him in years, like just bad. And I come out and said, oh my gosh, this horse feels like he's broken. They're like, what do you mean? Like broken. I said, I don't think he's got like a broke leg or anything. He just doesn't feel right. Like something feels just like a broken wheel and I, I brought him home and like he wasn't limping anywhere. Everything felt good. A few weeks later, when I say the doozy of doozy of abscesses blew out his left hind foot, it blew out at the coronet band. And eventually the hoof wall had degraded and sloughed off in the front where that tract had migrated up. And it was like two inches wide. And I mean, you could see. Oh, the, the tract. I mean, it it was really impressive because we had to clean all that out. But that, I mean, he that horse never limped, and he tried his guts out for me. And I mean, I I felt 
awful, but I didn't know, but at least I was smart enough to know, oh, he's not working good. I need to go school him. And I didn't reprimand him. So how do I keep them going when they don't feel right? I know when to stop. And, and I just send them home. And you know what? I put a Colt on the trailer and started dragging one of the Colts around and my Colts, you know what? They don't need a whole lot and neither do yours or anybody else's. So you take them when you can and you give them rest when they can. And I think, and myself included, I've done it myself. I've had those superstar horses. I'm like, Oh my God, I love this Colt. And we ride them and we ride them. And then we end up ruining them. And I had one horse that I gave to Maria. She's my best friend from home. And I said, Maria, take this colt because I'm going to ruin him. He's the nicest colt that ever started. But I wanted to ride him every day, twice a day, all day. And Maria, she doesn't ride when it's raining. She doesn't ride when it's hot. She doesn't ride if it's cold. She's no ride Maria sometimes. And <laughs> that horse ended up where he needed to be. And he's a superstar now. And even Maria, she's like, oh, my God, I want to ride him all the time. But she's got a job and kid, a child and other horses to maintain. So her life would cut into her riding him. Where me, he was always the first one I'd grab up because he's super friendly, super nice. And he was always first in the field. He's like, hey, catch me. Let's go ride. I'm like, sure, let's go. And And so, you know, sometimes don't ride your horse. And that's how I think I keep them going. And so I can put four or five in my trailer, you know, depending on how much I want to torture myself. So, you know, when version six didn't feel 100%, I didn't torture on him because I thought he was working wrong. I sent him home and I replaced him with a colt. And then it gives everybody a chance to be rode and see the world and me take time and be able to just bond with him. I think that might be some of the best advice, really, because... I mean, like you said, it's so easy to be like, oh, they're working great. Like, let's keep going. You know, they'll get better. And then all of a sudden we make them hate their jobs because we're just on them all the time. The best piece of advice I will give you or anyone else. And you write this down. You never heard anyone say they got off five minutes too soon. And with that being said, everybody rides around and you breeze your horse through or the ride will be going well. And then all of a sudden it's not. And everybody says, oh, I should have got off five minutes ago. And so when I ride at the house and things are going well, I'm like, I better get off now. Because in five more minutes, I'll be saying I should have got off five minutes ago. So it goes back to the saying, you never heard anybody say they got off five minutes too soon. I love it. I love it. Keep them happy. That's more important than anything. I mean, you never have heard anybody say I should have rode that horse five minutes more. No one has ever said that. Yep. Yep. Nope. That's true. I mean, even if you're on them for 10 minutes, if they're doing everything you ask, I just try to be like, okay, you're done. And that's, that's when I, that's when I decide when, you know, I need to get off. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to send this horse through again. Or, oh man. And I'm like, self stop. Mm -hmm. You know, you never heard somebody get off five minutes too soon. So that's, that's the rule at my house. You know, I'm like, you better get off now. So I love it. So you, do you, you train your horses, but then you also buy horses as well. Um, so what do you look for when you're, you know, buying colts or riding your colts versus buying a finished horse? Mm, well, when we buy colts, we only buy geld, well, any horse, we only buy geldings and there's nothing okay. wrong with fillies or girls 
But the boys, they get to fighting over the girls. So we avoid them because I don't need, you know, showman's fighting with version six because he loves Princess Diana over there. So Mm -hmm. that's the reason we don't have any girls. And it just keeps the herd dynamics happy. So number one, I'm looking for a boy. I try to buy on the loss factor. And that meaning if this horse doesn't work out, how much can I sell him as a beer drinking horse? How much can I afford to lose? So I can appreciate all the time and money that breeders have invested, but it is hard for me to buy a $20,000 prospect because if this $20,000 prospect does not make it, what am I going to be able to sell it for? And statistically, it isn't going to make it. So for me, I need to be in the realistic range. You know, I don't mind spending 7500 and I will spend, you know, more, you know, for the right horse. But if it doesn't make it, is it good minded? Is it quiet? You know, uh, like say for one, there was one I bought for like 12500 He's not real fast. He's bred nice. He's in a couple programs. I probably won't lose on that horse, even though it's not a winner, because he's kid safe. He's good minded. He's not too big. He's not too small. He's kind of pretty. So he's a what I call a worker, not a winner. And then, you know, I can place this horse. And then I've got one that we didn't pay much for that's kind of spooky and shy. And, you know, well, that horse really isn't going to help me any. Because he works like a million bucks, not real fast, but he's goofy as hell. So who am I going to sell him to? So I have to find that right home that doesn't have a kid or a dog or, you know, that's not an older person that might get kicked. So I have to find that horse at special home. And when I buy, it's, I try to buy on the loss factor. I, you know, and with some of these incentive programs now, it's a little easier to recoup because if it's not that fast, if it goes out there and works a pattern, it can still win money, you know, in the two and three and four D that's pretty lucrative nowadays. Mm-hmm. So and then sometimes I just get lucky and sometimes I just get screwed. <laughs> just like everybody else. If there's a secret formula, uh, we'd all be rich. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And if you, if you buy in geldings, you know, it's, you can't go off the basis. Oh, they get crippled. I'll breed them. Yeah. Cause that's not a choice. So it makes sense. And then what about the finished ones? I mean, do you look for a specific style or. Probably. Um, I mean, we. Or what fits you best? Well, if something's winning and it's winning again and again, well, generally it's up to me to figure out if I can ride it or not, because clearly it's not the horse's fault. And it took, we bought Showman's, for instance, Thanksgiving weekend. And I think it was April 1st-ish the next year before I really started doing well. And I see so many people, they'll buy these really good horses and they're devastated right away because they just didn't go out and win. Well, that's great if you can. But give that horse a chance because that horse was a winner before you. It's up to you to be patient and to learn how to ride that horse. And don't don't worry about what everybody thinks or take the pressure because in the long run, who cares? Those other people aren't paying your bills. You know, you just have to do what's right for you and the horse. 
So we bought the Mary's Moonshine Bandit after Fort Smith. And Fort Smith was later in the year this year. I think it was in August. And I didn't run him for several months. And it was just maybe three weeks ago, I ran him for the first time. And Tracy, the lady I bought him from, she's like, when are you going to run him? When are you going to run him? And I was like, not yet. I wanted to be right. I want to get with him. I want him to know me. And by the time I took him, I felt, you know, that I was ready. If I can't win at home, I surely am not going to be able to win anywhere else. So we went to Fort Worth. Uh, Tammy Kidd had produced a race there and, and he, he ran really good for me and got me a check. And I was like, okay. And they had the pro rodeo here in Denton, Texas. And it's a little bit of a deeper pin and I just didn't want to run showman's there. And so I said, you know, it's either him or version six. And I said, well, it's time that this new kid on the block start, you know, doing something, something other than sucking on the feedback. So we saddled old bandit up and down the alley and went. And, and when he ran, he took the lead. And um, by the last performance, they ran a 17, 14, and then there was a 17, 15. And then I ended up third with a 17, 16. And I was pretty darn happy. And I think everybody in the house was too. So I allowed myself some time. And I think at all the horses we bought, I think there was only one that I got on. And I said, holy moly, this is the horse. And that was the JSYK I'm famous horse. But everything else, whew, it took me a little while to get with. And we bought Hoosier fame, you know, with the BFA. And that was in the beginning of December. And I think I hit barrel after barrel after barrel. And finally, it was maybe mid-February. And I finally went clean on Hoosier fame. And it was at the Lake Charles Pro Rodeo. And I actually won it. So it was my first clean run on him. And his first pro rodeo win. And it was a twofer for me that day. But it just took time. And I think it's important for people to realize, don't be frustrated. Take your time and learn your horse. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, seeing somebody like yourself that's bought a lot and won on a lot, you know, you still have to get with them. And it's not just, well, I'm going to go hop on something and go win. You know, it takes some time. And we buy horses that I can't ride. And, and I'm okay to say that. And sometimes, you know, that's a big, a big hit for some people. And, and like, so what I try to do is I try to watch these horses and, you know, I think I can ride that horse. And a lot of times I don't even try them because if I try them, I probably won't like them and I probably wouldn't buy them. I mean, even today, if you were to come try showman's, you probably wouldn't buy him. He's not real fun to ride around. And I mean, he's great to like pet and feed treats to, but you get on him and oh my gosh, he's like running off when you're trying to get on him. He's always in the wrong lead. He kind of like, just lopes around he cuts the circles off I mean it just you just accept it you know I'm like okay he's done and he's happy I'm happy and sometimes we don't go the right direction in the circle like I'm wanting to go left he's like nope we're going right I'm like okay and and so when I bought like showman's Christine's like you want to ride him I said nope she's like you sure you don't want to ride him I'm like Christine if I rode him I probably wouldn't want to buy him and the same for Hoosier. Like when we got Hoosier, he was a fire-breathing dragon. It was like, oh, gosh. And um, he's older now, you know, so now he's like, we can give lessons on him almost. But from time to time, you know, that dragon comes out the cage and 
and it's like uh, so some of these horses don't so much worry about trying them watch them think if that's a style that you can ride think if you can ride behind that rider i don't care if it's the best rider in the world or the worst rider in the world can you ride behind that person and that's you know what i try to ask myself and and if that is something that you can do well give that horse a chance and don't overthink it i like it i like it it makes a lot of sense and you and edwin you both ride these horses right like because i saw he had a pretty good weekend at mbha finals too. oh yeah i mean and it really worked out because like some of the horses that work for me don't necessarily work the best for him and vice versa even though we ride similar so like hoosier fame he can take hoosier still and go to the barrel races because he might have four or five horses he's riding and if hoosier hits a barrel it doesn't matter who cares because he still has three or four more to run and one of those might get a check but if hoosier decides not to hit a barrel he's gonna win it and Mm -hmm. but i can't afford that because i have one chance and i just drove 16 hours i can't roll that dice and be like oh please hoosier don't hit the first barrel because he thinks it's his job to run over that first barrel and and if you can get him by it, you can start writing your name somewhere on one of those checks. So, you know, it's not very often that I run him anymore because of that. And it works out good because then Edwin can take him. And then realistically, Showman's this, you know, look at the numbers. This is the first time he's won at a major show. But Showman's consistently can draw checks, you know, on harder ground, crappier ground, not very good ground. Where at these bigger runs the the 4ds and stuff he's just an everyday placer because the ground might can get a little deeper and it's a little smaller pattern you know in 14 second closed gates and you know how the mbha sets up those side holding pins so that's really not the horse that you know is going to benefit edwin at the end of the day because he probably isn't going to get the win and macgyver MacGyver's going to work great for Edwin because I can still run MacGyver in the winter and Edwin doesn't ride much in the winter. So I can take him to any of these little indoor building rodeos and I don't need MacGyver in the summer. And then Edwin can run him in the summer and the MBHA setups that he likes to go to because MacGyver just, he can't do those big outdoor pins. He's just going to get outrun. I mean, really you guys just know your horses. I mean, in and out. And it doesn't seem, you know, the nice thing is like, you're not pressured to take them anywhere because you know them so well. So, you know, why run them somewhere that doesn't fit them or, you know, whatever. And I think that is really cool that you just really focus on what the horse fits most and go from there. Well, at some point you just get tired of hearing your name called out to go down the alley. And and you just get tired of losing. So I don't want to drive back to Spanish Fork, you know, 18 or 22 hours or however far it was to run MacGyver, who I absolutely love, when it's not his cup of tea. I'd rather stay home and eat popcorn again and cheer everybody on on the Cowboy Channel. So it's finding that happy flow. You know, is this going to work or is that not going to work? And, and if it doesn't work, 
let me tell you, my couch is pretty comfortable and I'm okay with it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Great advice. Well, I know you're busy. I won't keep you too much longer, um, but I always like to end out if there's, you know, one or two things in your trailer that you have to have, you know, besides saddles or, you know, a bridle, maybe a specific bridle. What are some of those things that you just have to take with you either for you or your horse or yeah, you or your horse? Um, I might catch some grief for saying this, but I think, I think everybody needs LASIKs. I think it's very important for the public and horse owners and barrel racers to really educate themselves on bleeders. And I think so many horses have that problem and everybody's like, oh, my horse doesn't bleed. My horse doesn't bleed out. I think Lasix is a very important thing. And uh, that is just, it's really critical. And I think so many of these horses do bleed. And even though you don't see it, I think an ounce of prevention is is worth more than anything. And you'll spend very little money and you might prevent a problem. And I sold a horse one time and I told them that I ran that horse on Lasix. And they said, oh my God, does he bleed? I don't want to bleed her. And I looked at him, I said, I don't know. I never gave that horse a chance to bleed. Please talk with your vets. Please be educated. Please, I just think every horse needs a little bit of Lasix in their life. And it's an easy thing to do. And it might just prevent a problem. I'm a believer in it. And that's just, that's just my take on it. And I just don't send me emails and Facebook me because I'm not a vet. I'm probably gonna get 50 messages on this now, but I just think it is really important. And there's lots of literature out there and it's not a hard thing to do. You could squirt it in the mouth. I mean, there's pills and you don't have to be a veterinarian to, to do this. So, but please talk with your vet. And I think it is important. And I think it'll save a lot of horses, a lot of grief and make a lot of people, you know, more successful in their journey. And for myself, Diet Coke. I think it's a food group. Stay hydrated. I love Diet Coke. Don't say it like that because then it sounds like (laughs) Lasix for your horse. Please be educated. And um, but I like Diet Coke. We drink a lot of Diet Coke and um, uh, I like air ride on the trailer. I think that's very important too. Um, I won't have a trailer with mangers because I like for my horses to be able to get their heads down. I've seen horses in wrecks, like car wrecks, and they end up in the mangers. I don't, I'm not a believer in mangers. I, I don't think they're a good idea. They're great for storage, but then you end up with mildew in them and dirt and grump, grime and nastiness. And I just, I'm not a, a manger fan. Um, but I love air ride, no mangers. And uh, what else is something I always look forward to? Um, I don't know. What do you like? What's your favorite? Oh, nobody's ever asked me the question myself. I've asked everybody else that, but. Um, Real quick, what's one of the most important things you, you need? Reese, oh, Reese's peanut butter you know cups? I, I don't know. I, I feel like, I, well, I like Diet Pepsi. I mean, I will say <sighs> that, but Diet Pepsi is more my jam. And snacks. I like to have snacks. But you now I recently went over to the um, hard shell booth. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, 
like the country hard shell boots and I don't like to leave the house without those like I do have you know some regular foot boots or professional polar apps but like my hard shell boots those are what I run in those are very nice and I love them I just feel like they make sense to me I'm, I'm starting to learn that a lot of things that barrel racers do, like, don't really make sense in the long don't run. Don't say. So trying to <laughs> Just trying to keep it more simple and, like, what makes sense and stuff like that makes sense. I do want to just, before we end up, touch base on the LASIKs. Do you get anything with it, like, after the fact? Because I feel like I've heard a lot of people, you know, it dehydrates them or, you know, they can't take it multiple days in a row, but I know a lot of girls that run a lot of horses with a lot of success that use Lasix, but do you use Yeah, I mean, I'll it? use the electrolyte paste. I use um, uh, the light, L-Y-T-E, light now. And then there's another one that Kentucky Equine Research, K-E-R products make. And I think it's like race today or race now or race race something yes, I can't I I'm drawing it. a blank please excuse me but it's the product itself is like a, a citrus looking yellow and it smells fantastic I don't think the horses really care for the lemon lime taste or whatever I love it like I'd like to taste it but they spit all the electrolyte stuff out no matter what brand it is so if I'm going to end up eating something I prefer to eat that one but that one has been researched, you know, in the thoroughbred industry to be very successful. And I probably should be giving it, you know, the way it says on the label, you know, give to one day before, one hour out, two hours out, whatever. But I just, I give them like a, a tube, um, like half the tube before if I can try to dose it out. And then I give the other half you know after and I try to do it like the the half tube you know a couple hours so I get my Lasix you know like three to four hours out and then um maybe like an hour or so out I'll give the electrolytes so they can kind of start absorbing in the you know an hour an hour and a half and then I'll give and this is probably no no too but I'll give like a half a scoop of feed to kind of help buffer you know any irritation that the electrolytes may or may not cause and I know I'm always hungry, so I figure they're probably hungry too. And um, and then I just make my run. But but um, and then afterwards I give them the other half. And I don't know. It seems to be working. And and sometimes I'm real diligent about it, and sometimes I'm not. You know. And I think you just need to figure out what's good for your horse and what he needs and what he lacks. And and another thing I, I like to do, and I didn't mention is I, I pull a lot of blood work and I think people stopped doing that and and everybody's like oh my horse has got EPM oh he's got Lyme disease oh he's got this why don't you just pull some basic blood work maybe his blood just might be in the in the toilet and he might just need some good old-fashioned red cell and like we give a lot of red cell around here and showman's after his colic surgery his blood work was not very good for a long time and I was getting the, oh, you've got EPM, oh, you know, he's got this or he's got that. And that's when I started pulling blood work. I'm like, I'm going to do it like they would do in the old days. And I just pull blood work and it's like his red blood cell count was down, his white blood cell count was down. Everything was just kind of down. And I just went and bought some red cell 
I just very, very religiously give it to him twice a day. And, you know, it might make him a little goofier and a little crazier, but his blood work is like almost perfect now. So that cheap little blood test did a whole lot for me and it has paid for itself over and over. There you go. I mean, great advice. Just keep it simple and know your horse. And if you give your horse red cell, I'm making a disclaimer now. I'm not responsible if he loses his marbles because it makes him a little hot. <laughs> so be prepared. Hold his plate. Awesome. Hold his plate. Well, we won't, we won't keep you anymore. I know you're busy, but I really do appreciate you carving out some time. Oh, no problem. Even as a non-rodeo regular person, I can't help but get excited about some of the Money Barrel's upcoming guests. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to get the news first about where Kayla ends up next. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on The Money Barrel.